Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's time once again for one of our favorite shows, This Week with Wendy. The one show, maybe the only show that shows you the real SoCal estate of mind. With our host, Wendy Ross. We're after spending some time working at other real estate brokerages in Silicon Valley and Orange County, decided, you know, let's do something different. Let's break the mold. And thus was born Veracity Real Estate. She thought the time was right for a renewed commitment to bespoke client advocacy. Not just for the rich, but for all of us. Something you don't see in high-cost markets like this. And through it all, she's built a data-driven company that turned, turned her into the data diva we know today. So today, our diva's going to bring along uh, a few other uh, friends that she's found along the path here. Join us, if you will. Wendy Ross. Hey, Wendy. Good morning, Paul. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Oh, my goodness. If this pre-show conversation is anything like today's show, I don't know. This I'm, I don't know if I'm going to be able to listen to this whole thing. You guys yeah. are yeah. out there. A little wild. A little we're, crazy. We're, and fuego, as always. <laughs> and fuego. And okay, fuego. that's how it is. On fire. Yeah. I was telling Kara this morning, it's just been already an incredible news day in terms of real estate. So I'm super excited just, uh, just to have the day start the way it did. All right. We'll fill us in. What's yeah. going on? Well, of course, you know that I'm going to bring you market analysis you can't find anywhere else. Right. And one of the ways I provide the analysis that you can't find anywhere else is because we work with experts to bring new experiences to our SoCal state of mind. And today's guest is Joseph Aldrich. He's the principal at the Cypress Group, and he's going to talk about luxury trends and interior design. We're just dialing in his box here. <laughs> he's appearing from Palm Springs. We can't get him to drive to the studio, apparently. Here, We're going to entice him one day, I promise you. Okay. I promise you. But just know he's the real deal. And Kara was my publicist. is so much fun. She was saying it's probably his height because he's well over six feet tall. So he gets the ability to see what beyond us and what's on the horizon. <laughs> I said it. Yeah. Or maybe it's that he's the toniest of industry leaders have favorited his personal mobile phone number on their ubiquitous iPhones to expedite their late night conversations that lead to marketing and public relations breakthroughs. I don't even have him on my cell phone. So I'm feeling a little bit left out. We're working on that. So, or more likely, it's, it's just because Joseph is a seer. A seer in a seer sucker suit. Or a hound in a hound's suit. A seer in a seer sucker suit. Depending right, on the that's season. That's a new one. Okay. Right? right. He, he identifies design trends. See, that's where this show's going. I don't, know if I'm, <laughs> I don't know if I'm hip enough to catch all these uh, little things. Just got to stay with the program, Paul. <laughs> telling you. Oh, my goodness. So he's working to help identify design trends before they happen. And he works tirelessly to ensure California's most elite consumers and buyers come to covet them. And you know you will. But first, it's time for my market analysis. I mean, this is this week with Wendy, after all. Okay. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what's happening in Orange County real estate, and then we'll be on to Joseph. So last week, of course, was a week unto itself, and it was the end of July. And as I have said over and over, the last week of any month is usually a really big, robust week. And I was wrong. It was not. <laughs> <laughs> Want, want. J- July ended with a whimper or it just maybe some soft muling. It was just really, really, really soft. Fewer than 2,000 homes sold in the entire county for the month, making it the slowest July since 2007. And wow. 2007 was pivotal because that was right before the crash. Does that show the, the feared slowdown in sales everybody's talking about because of rising interest rates? That is, it is absolutely a manifestation of the fear. And let's mark this by saying it's a manifestation of fear, not necessarily reality. Mm. And that's exactly what was happening in 07. In 07, everyone feared and they held their breath 
And the market did, in fact, of course, crash. This time, no one thinks it's going to crash, but we do think for certain we're turning back into a normal market. And what has happened, and we've talked about this, is that instead of our market peaking in terms of the number of homes sold and the prices at which they sold in mid to late summer, which would be normal, we peaked in March and April. Median price has fallen a bit every month since April. And the market peaked then, and now July ended with our median price at under a million. It closed July at 975. But what's interesting is that year to date, our median price for Orange County is still up over last year, which was just a monster year. So, so far, year to date, we're at a million ten as the median price. And last year, we closed the year at 889. So some people are speculating that by December, we will have erased all of our gains and we'll be at the same place in December as we were in January, which is possible. I kind of doubt it, but it is still possible. And even if that happens, that's not cataclysmic. It just means we came off of a monster hyperinflation year and we did a little bit of a reset and we're going to move back into normality, which is truly what we all need. We need some stabilization. So, you know, people needn't think that the sky is falling. Buyers would be foolish to wait for a wave of foreclosures to come, even though headlines are screaming that foreclosures are up 100 and 200%. Well, of course they are. There, there were zero. One would be 100% gain, people. Let's just not be crazy here. We would need about, I don't know, 10,000 foreclosures to hit the market and that's just not going to happen. So so we're just moving back into something more normal and like I've been saying, it's going to be a bit boring for a while. But that's why I have interesting guests like Joseph to talk about things that are far more fun. So that's my update. This week, I've invited Joseph, as I said, now. There he goes. I wasn't. I he was waving. I don't know if he was I, really going to join. Know, I was being respectful of the market. Thank you. <laughs> like everybody else is being respectful and slightly fearful of Wendy talking about real estate prices. C'est so. vrai. So true, darling. Yes. Well, you know, we don't have to be respectful of the market because right now it's a little bit boring. Quite unlike you, sir. Quite, quite <laughs> unlike you. I cannot thank you enough for being here. I mean, all I know is what has been told to me about your pedigree and the fact that and on top of greatly directly influencing trends, you're an influencer. So I need to know all. Thank you for being oh, here. Okay. Tell me Thanks everything. for having me. What I mean, influencer, what does that even mean? Um, me. I, I think it's less influencer and more judgmental. So it's kind of, you know, just a, a scurry between the two words. Right? Judgy is not bad. Don't say it like it's a bad thing. I I personally, you know, things are descriptive and judgmental. That's the way that it goes, especially in my business, as Carol will tell you. And if you're going to guide people, you have to be decisive. You have to be decisive and you have to be able to look at things from a non-emotional perspective. You Mm -hmm. just have to be able to look at things and say, ew, or, (laughs) oh, you know, and the thing is, is that when you're in my line of work, visually intensive, Mm -hmm. lack of a better phrase, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I always tell people two things because I go, oh my God, you just have the great job. And I go, you know, it's a lovely job. I get to look at a lot of really lovely things and really lovely people. Mm-hmm. But to get yourself to stand out from that, you know, because after a while, you know, you do recognize trends and you do recognize what everybody is doing. Mm-hmm. So to, to make something stand out requires that something actually stand out. It's interesting that you say that. Are you saying that you yourself as an individual are sometimes just a voice that has to rise above the din? Or are you saying that you have to come up with something so visually novel that it rises above the rest? It has to be visually novel, right? And the the problem with trends is that they're trends that everybody is there. And after a while, you know, people just get tired of looking at the same old stuff. If I see another barn door, I'm going to throw up. I... (laughs) (laughs) Please go on. 
I, barn doors and I do not get along, but I always tell my husband, I say, if I see one more Carrera waterfall counter in a kitchen, I'm literally <laughs> going to throw up. <laughs> Good news yeah. is it'll be easily wiped off that Carrera, but go on. No, and then, and then, I know, right, it's true. <laughs> but I'm still red wine. Um, <laughs> but, you know, because there are some things where you can walk in and I look around and uh, I was down in Newport Beach over the weekend last week doing some stuff for mm-hmm. some people and I'm like, oh my gosh, look at all of the farmhouses in Newport Beach. Is it not uh, remarkable? Uh, like, oh my gosh. I'm like, I just can't wait to go to the stand and buy some corn and some tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Surely there must be farms around and there's not. Mm-hmm. And I was driving away and I just said, I just said, you know what? really lovely all these people will be able to drive through and know exactly what year and when their houses were made <laughs> that is so stinking true it is it's true and which is which you know kind of plays into your vibe it's like okay you know how much money are you going to pay for mm-hmm. a 2012 urban farmhouse with black paint windows and a mansard roof exactly exactly <laughs> and it's so funny because i think that plays nicely into how i describe many people i'm just going to speak kind of in broad swaths here but have we disagreed that we're really not going over this this map oh well we'll we'll get there we'll get there we'll get there a bit we'll get there a bit but i i have referred to many people in orange in orange county as bovine they just sort of follow the herd so i the farmhouse kind of makes sense it does it's true Mm -hmm. and then the other thing that i always tell people is that my my i will say this very politely there is a certain level where luxury is luxury and luxury is every day right Mm -hmm. and in my industry because i deal with people who employ architects and people who pay for interior designers um, and people who order custom furniture right you know that's a level of you know that's a price point that's not every day right right? and it's true design and it's true design and people come to me and say oh can you get me a discount and the first thing i say is you know what sure i can get you a discount instead of it costing twenty thousand dollars it'll cost fifteen thousand dollars right because the the bench the bench is, oh, what can I go to Lowe's and get? You know, right, that's right, right. It's a whole okay. different animal. All right, so, but you're right. We should stay a little bit on point here because Kara knows you and loves you, but I, I don't know how you got into this industry. So take us back a little bit. How did you even get here? Um, well, a long time ago when Thomas Edison and I were <laughs> The short story is, is that I started my business in 2008. Mm. Uh, and my, my career immediately before that had been designing and working in the technology arena really yes what sort of design i used to be able to design metropolitan area networks and desktop computing and things of that nature wow you know it's it's a little known fact and one of my large projects i worked on was because you're in orange county one of my large clients was a company called cox communications because they were running around orange county and putting all of this hardware and little green boxes on the curb you know Mm -hmm. because they were going to do this broadband cable maybe internet you know and then that went from there my first job out of college i went to usc and graduated before a lot of people were born oh pas moi i just found Uh, out i i am older than you Please go on. Good. Carry on. Carry on. (laughs) Was selling asynchronous communications devices to banks in the late 80s. So, you know, when you went to Bank of America and they had the terminals where they'd hit like one button, a little square would jump across. Ding. Ding. I did that. So I had this long career from 1980X till 2008 in the technology arena. And sort of an inauspicious year to get into 
It probably, you know, in retrospect, it was an interesting year to actually do what it is that I did. No joke. Yeah. But it actually played out well because when I left that world, I said, I just never want to hear the word client server computing ever again. (laughs) I never, ever want to talk about a local area. I find that easy to understand. Yeah. (laughs) You know, if anyone says Ethernet to me, I will shoot you. Mm. And so I looked at what my core skill set was, as any career coach would have you do. Right. And, you know, I realized that my whole career had been taking companies into new markets and raising their profile and doing things you know we did geographically within a sociodemographic these backgrounds so i said well i'm just going to take that and i'm just going to start doing stuff right mm-hmm. you know pause that vcr and then turn on the one next door i have always been a design whore and so i studied architecture when i was a kid i was always reading and like doing all this stuff and i you know be like oh do you know who like that i'm like oh i could was telling someone the other day, I can hold a very pleasant conversation about the benefits of Polydian architecture. And we could talk about Cliff May, too. We can talk about Cliff May and the farm and the ranch house, the ubiquitous ranch house that nobody wants anymore because they're tearing down and putting in an urban farmhouse. (sighs) But Um, we digress. I love Cliff May. Mm. Um, Have you ever been, sidebar, have you ever been to his big home up in the valley? I have not. So one of his his test homes that he did that was like his prototype is up in the valley someplace weird so it's like woodland hills or someplace like that and it's gorgeous anyway so i just go where you like and i just kind of started working at the time i started working with showrooms and product manufacturers and service suppliers people who worked in the periphery of the design industry interest um, and all the things we don't think about but are vital things that are vital at the time you know, because it was 2008, this little thing called Facebook and the internet had <laughs> kind of taken off. And so, no lie, Wendy, I spent the first two years of my business making money off of helping people set up Facebook pages and LinkedIn pages. I wish I had known you then. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> and then that led to that. And then it was okay. You know, companies were trying to figure out how to leverage the internet which was a different beast in 2007 and 2008 that certainly it's it's hugely different Mm -hmm. how to leverage that into their business right and so i'm like oh well let's come at it from a different angle so i took because i i am old i always say but i'm also a classic business development marcom person so it's taking those principles and applying them over to websites and digital messaging and it just kind of like clicked and then you know referrals being what they are in the business world Mm -hmm. I suddenly found myself deep in the throes of the interior design and shelter industry. Um, And that's fascinating. And it's as I listen to you talk about this, it seems logical to me that all these sort of macro experiences that you have trickle down and distill into this this perfect storm where you find yourself now. But before we we get too much into the the minutiae here, I want to hear about your shelter clients. And for those of us who are listening, this is a relatively new term. Can you share with us what you mean by the shelter industry? Only relative new to y'all so shelter is basically defined as anything with walls and a roof okay so it goes from offices to hospitality to residential to commercial buildings all of the above so it's all of it okay all of the above and all of the people who live under those roofs and they're not just you know we have worked with contractors we have worked with we had a client who was a now someone has to do it right 
a large-scale hospitality, which means hotel, hotels, mm-hmm. um, plumbing contractor. Oh, and that's got to be a real specialty. And it's just the driest thing in the world. But mm. you think about it, you're like, oh, okay, someone's building a hotel. It needs plumbing. Well, you and know, if you're on the 20th does... floor and you don't have water pressure, you're not going right, to be very right, happy. Right. And, so how does, and how does that happen? Mm-hmm. You know, somebody has to do that. Somebody has to dig holes. Somebody has to take pictures. Someone has to manufacture the products. I mean, everything that's even in the office that you're in, right? Mm-hmm. One of our grand clients from days gone by was a contractor they're called a contractor but they're really not that did home theaters and audio visual systems because this whole sono surround sound thing was coming out and everybody in orange county was like oh my god <laughs> you know, we have to have a home theater because we have teenagers you know that whole thing when everyone had that remember mm-hmm. that oh gosh yeah um, and you probably still have your home theater I just have my little son as portable speakers, okay? <laughs> because that's what you can do now. But back then, you had mm-hmm. to like have all of these things done. You know? It oh was, yeah. It was ridiculous. I don't think there's a home in Newport Coast that doesn't have that. They're taking them out because they're putting the family game room with the sliding glass barn doors. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the shelter industry. Is basically anything with walls and a roof. It's Perfect. very encompassing, and there are many facets of it that that i have touch points with and i work with real estate companies luxury mm-hmm. real estate companies again architectures contractors suppliers we have a client who's a boutique lending firm that we do all of their marketing and where stuff are they for. they are actually in um newport beach i wonder if i know them you should i was just thinking about that while i was listening to Mr. Paul talk, I was like, oh, they should probably know one another. Because they obviously have a lot of insights into the market. Mm-hmm. And we know that they have, like you, the, the key influencer helping to position them. So True. <laughs> so, their brand. So when you're, when you're doing this sort of, you know, this 30,000 feet perspective for your clients, because they're, they're so vast, they cover so many different disciplines within this shelter industry. How do you stay on top of trends and forecast what's coming around the bend? I observe. I mean, because there's two things, because there's the business part of it is that's great. Part of a trend is what people are looking at. And part of a trend is what people are buying, right? Mm-hmm. So you look at what people are actually buying. And then you go, you know, we have in my industry, uh, we go to there are markets that we go to so people who introduce the sofa that you're going to want in six years mm-hmm. you know that's interesting so is that like what you're doing with the las vegas market and the high point market at high point market that's what we do we go um case in point we have a client who is a very well-known interior design firm based out of the hamptons and they are developing a it's, it's predominantly trade so no names because mm-hmm. the trade trade being you as a consumer can't buy the product understood Mm -hmm. Uh, so all of the products that i speak about are trade products so you can't go to a retail showroom and get them they're all specifically made for interior designers and professionals to put in homes so in north carolina we have high point markets and we are launching a whole furniture line for a national company right Mm -hmm. we're doing that in the fall it's going to be october so these are products that homeowners will see in homes you know if they love it in october and they place an order because it's custom Mm -hmm. not until the spring but most likely in fall of 23. now what types of furniture products are these and where are they being manufactured they are being manufactured in all places of in high point north carolina fabulous this particular company Mm -hmm. but but to your point they're manufactured all sorts of places Mm -hmm. 
And these are what we in the trade call upholstery and case goods. Got it. Case goods being anything that's not upholstery. So, mm -hmm. you know, tables, credenzas, sideboards are called case goods. So they're they're doing what one would expect from that part of the country, and they're making things with high quality woods. And either they're covering the wood or they're not. Woods. Yeah, they're making high quality woods. And then, I mean, basically, you just kind of have to look at it as if interior design is a multi-level distribution. So it's wholesale, right? They're wholesale mm -hmm. manufacturers. Awesome. Well, I love the but fact that- In my industry, in my industry, let me take a, a lot of the, and you, we use the word accessible, translates less expensive. Um, <laughs> For the mere mortals listening, yes, okay. <laughs> accessible products are manufactured abroad. Um, and those are the ones that listeners will probably be annoyed with because, you know, they can't get their light for six months. It's currently on back order. Correct. Correct. Well, like my bar stools that I got at Macy's that they said were in stock. They took about six months to get here. I'm like, I have a stock? client who's been waiting for chairs for a client's dining room for, I think, a year. <laughs> we have a very dear friend whom you must meet. He's wonderful. And he was joking about how, was it Ben Franklin that ordered furniture from Europe? I mean, back in the day, right? And it got here right. faster than furniture is arriving now. We're like, that's scary. <laughs> I mean, it's true. And the horrible thing is, and that watch this transition, I'll get a high five for it, <laughs> is that people have become so used to the restoration crate and barrel business model where they walk into a store and they say i want that sofa and it's in their living room mm -hmm. you know three days later mm -hmm. that's not how it used to work no <laughs> you know? well we've we've, no. we've got very short attention spans now joseph yeah, we want everything and, now and we want it all now yeah we mm -hmm. don't have patience there's no patience mm -hmm. um you know that's and we're seeing that in, on my side of the fence too, by the way. I, I have sellers now that are saying, I've been on the market for two weeks. What do you mean I don't have an offer? I'm like, that's what's called normal. <laughs> so, Welcome to the real world. Let's just calm down and put our big boy pants on and yeah. sit tight because this is going to take a little longer because that's yeah. normal. Yeah. And the same thing. If you want to have bespoke furniture that doesn't look like everybody else's, you're going to have to wait for them to make it for you. It's true. And ship it and deliver it. Very few people at my level do direct from warehouse. Right. Quick ship products are eight weeks normal. Yeah. And I would expect, I know for myself, I was going to be redesigning my home. A, I would absolutely hire a professional because my spatial awareness, even though I sell homes, is kind of crappy. And I, I don't necessarily understand traffic flow patterns. I'm just telling you the truth. I can't pick paint color to save my life. Um, okay. I'm really good at helping someone buy a house, though. It's like I understand the components of the home itself, but I want to bring people in to help me not make foolish mistakes. You know what? And I personally am just enthralled with this. There is a very fine line, right, mm -hmm. where my world and your world meet. Mm-hmm. Right, where agents are walking through people and the homeowners are looking at a property going, oh, this would be great if it wasn't, you know, a farmhouse in Chino, mm -hmm. um, you know, and what can I do, mm -hmm. right? Yes. And I can actually, to a degree, see those things mm -hmm. um, and bring partners like you in to help them get some elevations and some, you know, some drawings. Right. Yeah. We used to do a lot with real estate people down on the Newport coast and a lot of people actually, a lot of successful agents in the higher income, in the higher ticket, you know, higher ticket in 2011 was much different than it is now, right? Mm -hmm. Where everything's my ticket mm -hmm. would actually come to showings with design schematics and contractor estimates. Yes. 
yes. to blow out walls and to fix things because you're going to want to do this. We know you're going to want to do this. So this is how much extra it's going to cost. Yeah. Great segue. Thank you for this. But given how it's changed you know, between 2011 and now, what are you seeing trending now in design, especially for the luxury homes like the Newport Coast homes? <laughs> It was good. Admit it. That was good. That was a very good transition. Thank you. So there are two things that are just very top of mind in my world. One of them being because we all obviously spent a lot of time in our homes. Mm -hmm. The past, you know, nine months or so, because my industry is not recovered from the whole COVID situation. Because people lived in them, people are reevaluating how they use their homes. Absolutely. Right. Mm -hmm. And what that means, you know, um, I had somebody once who was like, oh, you know what? Literally every 32 year old in Southern California learned that mid-century sofas look really pretty on Instagram, but you can't watch TV in them to save your life. Right. So So function finally trumped form. Right. Function and form are a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is, is that we're seeing a lot with in our industry. It's called performance fabrics, right? Correct. Uh, so it's basically special fabrics and special things that you can put on your furniture mm-hmm. that, you know, your kids can spill their milk and the dog can sit on it and it's not going to ruin it. Because right? everybody got a pet during COVID. So everybody yeah. got a pet. And everyone's like, oh, oh my gosh. And so now like one of the big things that we'll see right before COVID hit, the huge trend was towards this called motion furniture. So it literally is like, you know how when you sit in the Lexus, you push like the little side on the buns or a Mercedes where it's like, it knows it's you and it all adjusts. Yes. That was like all the rage. Why does my mind just leap to Italian? That just sounds so Italian to me. Whatever. Okay. Um, no. I mean, it's a scary place. I'll admit it. My head's a, it's a very crowded. I mean, place. I mean, maybe it's because you're thinking like a leather sofa, like a car. Right? I think so. Or, I, th- right? I think I just went straight to Natuzzi, but whatever. But you know, Natuzzi is a brand, and they did a lot with that. But it was like moving it into like the fancy upholstery world, mm-hmm. right? Where you could have an incredible chenille sofa that went into a full recline, you know, first class cabin. So you could watch on your big screen television, you know, in full recline. Uh, that kind of went away because the parts became contracted during constricted during COVID. That so supply that chain. Mm-hmm. The, the supply chain issues, you couldn't get the parts for it. So everybody killed that that whole segment currently. Interesting. So everybody now is doing what's called extra deep furniture because people don't want to sit in their furniture anymore. They want to sprawl. <laughs> okay. So not but only are we spending more time at home, we're just becoming slovenly and we're sloppy. Becoming slovenly. <laughs> you know, so everybody like wants the 42 inch deep sectional, right? Oh, it's like, or, or the, I, I call them cocaine sofas because <laughs> remind me of Studio 54 where you have like this giant, really deep sofa with chaise lounges and a coffee table where literally like seven people are snorting cocaine in Halston while the disco music plays, right? Because people, that's what they did. And they realized they liked being with their families and they liked being with their pets. <laughs> and just and just without the cocaine. <laughs> just without the cocaine. <laughs> Or depending on where you live, maybe the cocaine is there. I don't know. I'm I did sure. hear cocaine is making a comeback, and I was yeah. very shocked to hear that. So, so who knew? 
that's an actual thing that people are doing. That's fascinating. Okay, so can you just, can we go back? I mean, I don't mean to fall back and beat up the modern farmhouse again, but okay. what's with white walls everywhere? I mean, I know I can't pick paint to save my life. Is it because other people I'm are gonna color phobic? I'm going to that because I'm going to okay. tell you one of my other favorite things that oh, people okay. are talking about these days. Yes, please. People are tired of open floor plans. Yeah, well, they're not functional anymore. There are, everybody... It's like, no, I don't want to look at you doing homework anymore. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So people are putting up walls and people are creating individualized spaces. It was mandatory. We saw the greatest surge of interest in five plus bedroom homes I've ever seen in my career. For that reason, everyone was home doing their work and whatnot. Right. And everyone's like, I don't, I don't need five kids doing homework on my dining room table while I'm trying to cook and have a Zoom call. Right. Mm -hmm. So everyone, so everything is becoming segmented again. Are you seeing uh, semi-permanent walls or walls that are movable? People actually want honest to goodness, real walls. Interesting. Okay. Real walls. Yeah. They want a more formal, you know, is it going to be where you have a formal dining room and a formal living room and then you have something else? Maybe the formal living room became the actual living room and the family room became the kid's study room. Who knows, right? Because mm -hmm. people are repurposing. They're creating individual spaces in their homes. Yeah, that's consistent um, with what we were saying. Which is interesting from your perspective mm -hmm. because all of these things require real estate. Right. You know, you can't have a five-bedroom home if your lot's only 4,000 square feet. So you have to, like, build up. Mm -hmm. You know, there's all of these things. Anyway, mm -hmm. I digress. Um, white walls, I hate them. <laughs> As the notes will show. Um, <laughs> and I'm not going to name names, but... Oh, please. My No, 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 no. My high disdain for white walls is directly related to social media. Mm. Because people started taking pictures in their homes and people started realizing, you know, people without design pedigrees, right, mm -hmm. would go into, when you go into Crate and Barrel and they have a, who makes wonderful products, let me just be very clear. Mm -hmm. When you go into a Crate and Barrel showroom, you'll notice their walls are like always white and they stage the furniture that way. And right. young people, because that's the Crate and Barrel demographic, would go in and they'd go, oh great, I want it to look like that. And so they would paint their walls white and people started you know, taking pictures. And then this thing just became where it became accessible design. So anybody could go and paint your house white, mm -hmm. add some wood furniture with some blush colored pillows and a piece of art, and you have an on-trend house. Oh my goodness. I mean, I, I, all I can think of while I listen to you say that is lemmings. Lemmings just following one of the out to sea. It's like, people come no, on. And there, there were a couple of, a couple of, media outlets in my industry that were just really good because they were geared towards younger people about propagating mm -hmm. this aesthetic, right? But what it became was it became, you know, accessible design. So you could be an interior designer and have an on-trend house as a person without having to actually you know, you could go to Home Goods and mm -hmm. buy a sofa that looked great in a white room. You know, while I applaud people for making an effort to make their home look nice, mm -hmm. it does get a bit stale and boring. It gets very boring, you know. Now, are you seeing that in Orange County in specific, or is that a global phenomenon? It's actually a global phenomenon. It is a phenomenon that started as a younger age demographic, again, because of accessibility and the people that were doing it, because it was the social media adaptation, right? It was when mm -hmm. you started going to Pinterest and when you started seeing Instagram moments, right? Mm -hmm. And it's kind of morphed to the high end, 
right? Interesting. Uh, where, well, when I redid my house, I did a house out here in 2015, and there are literally, if you go and you said, I want to find, it's not so easy as white, you have to go, which white, right? There are about 900. No joke, right. Yes. Um, here's my plug for one of my favorite products, Benjamin Moore PM1, the best white. I'm seriously going to go check it out because I have to repaint part of my home. At this number, yes. Okay. And I can't wait to send you a picture of my front living room. You're going to love it. Anyway, but let's just take a little, put a pin in it and pause for a moment so we can say a little something about our sponsor. Wow. We need a breath, if nothing (laughs) else, to absorb all this stuff here. And while we're doing that, let's breathe and think about Ford and Diulio. An Orange County-based boutique litigation firm with experienced attorneys from the big law firms, partners that founded the company, did so on an idea they call aligned interest, where their success is related to your success and not just extending the litigation to drive up the billing, where they're rewarded for being efficient and yet effective, and where they engage in the relentless pursuit of their clients' goals, whether in litigation, mediation, or even trial. If you want to try something different, Try FordDiulio.com, just like it sounds, F-O-R-D-D-I-U-L-I-O, FordDiulio.com. Can I point out, I always get to ask one question after the commercial here. All right, we'll let you speak. You guys are railing against white walls. For years, (laughs) I had white walls in my house. My wife made me paint every wall another color as I sit other in front than of my white wall as he sits in as front I, of a white wall but it's pm1 right this is not pm1 this is whatever mm. uh, it's actually more of a cream slash eggshell situation it's mm. not a pure white and i'm wondering if a lot of this whiteness mm. doesn't have to do with the brightness of the color when you're shooting stuff at home if you're on I think that has a lot to do with it yeah. because if you're putting yourself in a room and you shoot the room, you stand out, right? So yeah, right. it's, it, I don't feel so. Everybody's on the internet, everybody's on their phone, everybody's on Instagram, yeah. everybody's showing themselves to the world. Sure. And right. they're getting little ring lights to light up their face. Sure. And then yeah. they got to get something, a white background is the easiest background to film against. So, and in all honesty, it's really hard to mess up a white room if you're 34 years old. True, you true, know? true. Well, I, I can't wait to show you the gray I ended up picking for my house. And it took about 4,000 attempts, but it's gorgeous. It's, it's, I told you I'm judgy, right? I know, I know. You're going to love it. You're going to love so it. So can I ask one more question? Gray to me is mm-hmm. not a color that I find appealing. Mm-hmm. And yet my daughter and son-in-law, mm-hmm. gray. Everybody raves over it. You tell me gray. Everywhere well, I go, gray, 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 gray. No. When do gray, gray is come like back white. There are, there are a million of them. And my gray is almost black. It's deep, 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 and it oh, looks, to, and, it, and it's like, it's got almost a mossy green tone to it. Okay. An earthy, it looks like the wet muck at the bottom of a river. So black rooms are actually a thing. Yeah, it's it's nearly mm. black, but I've, I've got a 1947 post-war with giant windows. So uh-huh. there's not that much wall space, so it doesn't overwhelm you with the dark. Mm-hmm. But I have to tell um, you, when I do Zoom calls at home, people rave. They're like, is that a backdrop? I'm like, no. That's my house. So called the actual term that we use a lot is called grayish. Grayish, yeah. Well, look at cars today. Cars are all gray, silver, whatever. There's some, Mm -hmm. right. Like, it's really weird. Depending on the light, it might look a little blush. It might look a little gray, pink. It's Mm -hmm. very... It is a ubiquitous Southern California color. Yeah, and I'm actually, I'm a little fatigued on that too, but I, I chose to go uber deep. It's like, it is a deep, deep, dark tone. And, and so I, I was in a it. show house in New York a few years ago. I was visiting, I was seeing one, and somebody had a very dark room, like like you're describing, and mm-hmm. what they had done is they had gone over it and they had taken chalky white paint, Wendy, mm-hmm. and actually over the dark colors had done a trompe l'oeil 
all the architectural detailing. So they had paneling painted. So it was just gorgeous. Wow. It was actually really beautiful, horribly not in context with your house. But there was a lot of, please tell me you don't have like a pink neon sign that says happy happens here, like over your sofa or something. <laughs> uh, oh, he's been to my house. <laughs> no, no. The I old, love neons. I, 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 neon I don't. I don't. I will talk neon another time. I had one custom made for one of my, one of my ex-husbands. It's fodder for another show. <laughs> anyway, so. One up? One up. Listen to the I'm show. I'm telling There's, you, we need to have cocktails, my darling. It's a bunch yeah. of them. <laughs> Half right, of them have been in here. <laughs> hey, only one has been in here. <laughs> okay. Right. And, he, and he really wants to do a show. But anyway, moving on. So so going back to what you were saying about how social media um, it kind of made this, this mass communication happen in terms of what mm-hmm. is and what is not designed. What about reality TV shows? Because it seems like there's just a million of them now. And, and have they influenced okay. things? Actually, and I'm going to swear, and Paul, feel free to bleep it out <laughs> as you see. TV fucked it up. Yeah. Because, I mean, in much the same way that everyone thinks they can, you know, buy a home with three visits in, a, in three days. And I'll just know. pick up the phone and call the other agent and that we'll negotiate right, for and that's you. That's the way it yeah. works, right? No. Television made people think that not only can things happen in a short period of time, right? Mm-hmm. But that it was, you know, right. you know, because the first shows were like, oh, how to make your room look for a buck for $2,000. And mm-hmm. this wonderful one I know named Toby Fairley, who's magnificent, she got up in front, she said, she's from the South, she's like, oh, I can't even sell you a chair for $2,000. <laughs> and, and so it's just like, it just reset customer expectations mm-hmm. and homeowner's expectations mm-hmm. to a level that just really messed it all up. Yeah, and and I have to tell you, I have um, toured a couple of the homes that were done by some of these reality stars, and I won't name names, but they were married at one time, and now they're not. And they were just abysmal. They were so poorly executed, and they were frankly ugly, and they were falling apart within Perfect. months of completion. So the thing that I always like to point out, right, when you look at homes that other people did, right, mm-hmm. there's there's a very fine line. And because everything is marketing these days, I'm going to pull out my soapbox for 20 seconds and then I'll put it away. So please humor me. Step on up there. There are contractors who call themselves designers mm-hmm. because they will go in to a home because it's all about flipping, right? Everybody like wants the new home. Nobody, no homeowner like really wants to invest money in doing things on their own, right? Mm-hmm. So they'll go in and they'll tear down walls. They'll, you know, go to Lowe's or whatever, right? And they'll put up a new backsplash and they'll do like a modern, you know, frameless shower with a rolling barn door or whatever, right? <laughs> and they'll say, I designed this house. And I'm like, oh, no, you didn't design this house. You went and you bought shit. Right? And you assembled it. And you assembled it. Yes. But you're not a designer. Mm-hmm. But those are because homeowners are looking at the homes mm-hmm. and the contractors are calling themselves designers. Mm-hmm. That's not a designer, that's a builder. So you have what I call builder design, right? Mm-hmm. Which is basically just a revised tract house. And then you have designer homes, which are homes. And in one of the areas that they're very popular in is down in Cameo Shores, mm-hmm. just to be local, because that's your demographic. Thank where you. Where they go in with an architect, with a designer and they talk about floor plans and they talk about flow mm-hmm. right and light you know? and interior design isn't really just about oh i want wallpaper right, right. it's about space it's about how you use this space mm-hmm. and it's not even about costing a million dollars it's like saying okay great wendy you're redoing this first floor of your house how much money do you want to spend 
mm-hmm. and you're going to say twenty-five thousand dollars, and they're all going to laugh and say that's not happening, right? Because it's right. not. It's not. Um, but you say, okay, great, forty-five. Okay, forty-five we can do with, and helping you set a budget and your expectations, and then doing the work for you. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what a design professional does. Saving us from ourselves. I, I have spoken to so many designers over the years and heard the horror stories about people that did mostly use the builder slash designer, and they got a prefab cabinet or whatever, and and the plumbing lines didn't match up with the cabinet, and they ended up having no, to. It's not. It was like okay, and, you know, and be, because I tour houses for a living, I'm like, oh my god, there are things like drive me nuts, mm-hmm. like you. You can always tell if you have a nine foot ceiling, you need special cabinetry. You can't put stock cabinetry in a tall ceiling. Right. Unless you spend the extra money, right? But then it's like, why do you have two feet above your cabinets? Mm -hmm. What what use is that? Yeah. It's stuff that drives me nuts. And do you really just, just want all that dust to collect? When I watch it. television, I, I just literally want to strangle people. And when I walk <laughs> through them, and I had a client once who made a fortune undoing interior designers' work from <gasps> like contracts, like bad decisions. Like that reality show with the TV uh, with the tattoo artists that fix bad tattoos. So you go in and fix bad and design. Yeah, it's like, okay, great. Ooh, this was awkward, right? You I know? love it's it. Like, all right. I, I honestly yeah, need, but... I need a little bit of remedial action in my house. I love my little house, but not my fault. The people who, who sold it to me, they made some really questionable choices i always am just amazed and because i'm an expert on realist um <laughs> i'm just amazed what people spend money on and for yeah it's like and i'm always i'm always yelling i said you're gonna friggin' pay 10 million dollars to undecorate the house yes yes yes, yes. Million dollar house and spend five million dollars to make it better because after you remove all that ugly stuff you're still gonna have to put something nice up well and sometimes the cost to remove it is onerous laugh all the time i tell kara the story about the pink house in huntington beach it was you know one of those tall skinnies you know throw yeah. a rock and you're at the beach and this person put pink marble everywhere you open the front door it greeted you at the entry all the way through the house it was in the kitchen it surrounded the fireplace stairs in all the bathrooms around the fireplace and the master pink marble everywhere that that <laughs> thing you have to be cognizant of in the world right that aesthetic actually has a market mm-hmm. and it's a particular market in real estate you would say there's a particular client for that house mm-hmm. because that's a thing mm-hmm. there are people who would actually rip out a beautiful fireplace and put a pink marble fireplace yeah but if you want to market it to the the mass masses not happening not gonna work it's horrible because people sell if i understand correctly, people sell houses on a relate on an emotional level when they shouldn't right so mm-hmm. it's like okay great it's a transaction it's not an emotional decision yeah but in residential it's the same way you know yeah. it's like okay great you're yeah. never going to unload this house and you know one of the smartest things i ever heard someone say was don't ever have the nicest house on the block you know which everyone's trying to do mm-hmm. here in orange county it's, crazy i know it's so true it is so true i need to schedule you again and have you on because you are just so delightful um oh. and i'm gonna you know probably drive out to palm strings and make you put your phone number in my phone because i want to okay. be one of those notable people we didn't even get to my are we done or are we we just clipped through all of this didn't no we? i'm just gonna ask you some more questions about you i'm gonna get personal now all right okay so i mean because it's a show about real estate i have to ask you where do you yeah. live what city do you call home and, and where are you living? My husband and I live in Palm Springs, California. Lovely. Um, we live in a we live on a golf course in the south end of Palm Springs in a lovely home that's currently experiencing air conditioning problems. So sorry. It's all right. And we've been here a bit now. Well, didn't you say you were moving to to where? We are moving to Chicago. <gasps> oh, how urbane. I am going to yes. Midwestern cold Joseph. <laughs> 
is kind of <laughs> and that really is is based upon nothing other than the fact that I travel a lot and it's a really great place to travel out of okay and both of our families are all back east and that makes sense it's a bit more central for you so we will miss yeah, you closer to everything and that's just the way it goes well we can zoom you in from there that's fine it's true all right well now while you're here you've lived in palm springs for a while why did you live there and what what did you or do you love about living there oh dear god that's a real bad question to ask right now because <laughs> there's no love right now Minimal love. Okay. I mean, it is a hundred and you know ten degrees outside, uh, and the gardener's about to hook up, so it's going to be awesome. <laughs> uh, you know, things that initially attracted me to Palm Springs, mm-hmm. let me put it to you that way, were when in the pre times when I did travel a lot, it was really nice to come back to some place that was quieter and more resort like. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is and it, beautiful. And it is lovely, you know, and if you appreciate the geography of the desert, it's Mm -hmm. extremely beautiful. Mm -hmm. So it has a lot of things. And you know what? We live, I can go for a a hike up the hill literally by leaving my front door. So, yeah. yeah. There's a lot to be said for that. But when it's 110 and the AC is not working. Mm. It's a little not so much. So, <laughs> next question. All right. Well, I know that you don't live in Orange County anymore, but you have long history here. So, where did you live and when and, and what were some of your favorite places? Oh, so, I came of age in the 90s in Laguna Beach. I'll go you. I know, right? Yeah. Um, and some of my, like, best, you know, I call them free white and 21. Is like, you know, when you're when the world is magnificent, they're all centered around Laguna Beach. It's true. Uh, and my children were young and we were in Laguna Beach. And so, you know, so we're all that people. I lived in Laguna Beach. I lived in Aliso Viejo, um, which was the most recent stop. Mm. I went back east. I was back east for a while before I came back here. So, but right before that, I, I had been in Orange County since 1968. Oh my goodness. All yeah. right. So far longer than me. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm practically a native, but I wasn't born there, so I lose. No, but nearly. We'll call you nearly native. All right, nearly native. Okay. So moving on, do you have, and if so, what is your most treasured possession? Wow, I have several of them. I can only choose one. It's my show. You can say whatever you want. (laughs) I'll let you. You know, I will show it to you. I'm going to have to watch the replay to see it. I'm kind of bitter right now. So this is actually a small box okay. that was made by my grandfather. Okay, beyond cool already. For my grandmother mm-hmm. as a wedding present. Uh-huh. And somehow it's in my possession. That's and exclusive. So this is one of my five fire items, right? Yes. Uh, this is one of them. Yeah, so people, if there was a fire, what would you grab? Yeah. Oh, five things, yeah. 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 Oh, incredible. Uh, one of them. Oddly, most of my prized possessions are either tied to my kids. I have a couple of things. I have a box from my daughter mm-hmm. that she brought me back from Bali that oh. has stuff in it. That is another one. And then I have a, a picture that my grandparents had in their home that they purchased. It was painted in Williamsburg, Virginia. Mm. Um, and they got it on their honeymoon. So, oh, provenance is everything. It's true. It's true. So fabulous. Yeah. All right. Well, and 
you've done so many different things. I don't know how you could possibly answer this, but what would you consider your greatest achievement to date? My children. See, that was easy for you. Boom. Yeah, all the other stuff is just stuff, isn't it? I have great kids, and I was talking mm -hmm. to their mom the other day. I, we have no idea how that happened. <laughs> theoretic, theoretically, they should be a mess, but they're not. They're magnificent. They're smart. It, it's just like, how did that happen? That's whatever touch I had on that project, mm -hmm. that which I am most happy of. I have found when people are just good human beings, they tend to create other good human beings through example. You know, that's a cocktail conversation. Okay, I'll be there soon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. And again, do you have one? And if so, what is your personal motto? Never be one thing. Oh, I like it. Or chameleon. All right. And, and finally. Uh, no, no, that's not true. Oh, no? No, 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 no. Let me never be just a businessman. Never mm -hmm. be just a gay guy. Never mm -hmm. be just a father. Never be just a resident of California. Be all the things. That makes sense. Because people, you know, that came because people look at you like, oh, okay, she's Wendy, the real estate lady. No, she's right. not Wendy, the real estate lady. She's right. Wendy, all of these other things. So never be just one yeah. thing. That is such a conversation for us to have. Because there's a book that I'm going to be writing, and it's not about real estate. And a couple oh. of business coaches have been just vehemently against it, saying, but it's off-brand. And I'm like, it is, all, it is all part of who I am. Sure. To your you point, know, it's and, all part and, of the composite. You have to, and people, I one of the things people go, oh my gosh, I would never have guessed that about you. I'm like, oh, well, there's a lot of things you don't know about me. Right. So right. it's never, you know. Well, like Stanley Tucci, he's a brilliant actor. He's wonderful. And he's doing a show about Italian food. Yeah. You know? Well, what do they have in common? Nothing. He just likes Italian food and he has a platform. It has, right. What's in common? Stanley Tucci. That's what they have in common. Yeah, that's it. That's, it. that's all there is. That's the whole story. Stanley Tucci. End of story. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So I, I'm going to go and, and get your phone number in my phone. But for the rest okay. of the world listening, how can they get a hold of you? Best way to reach me is on... Oh, you can't see. Let me just make it easy. <laughs> At Joseph Aldrich on the Instagram. And could you spell that, please, for the spelling impaired? J-O-S-E-P-H-A-L-D as in David, R-I-C-H. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Well, I'm going to wrap it. Paul's looking anxious. He's like, stop talking. All right. Okay. Thank you so much for being with us. And thank you, Paul, for your patience. <laughs> Unbelievable. You're going to get to have such a, a uh, enjoyable banter. We do. Back well, he's one of my people. I, I knew that going in. I knew it was going to be a love fest. All right. We're going to call it, but please follow me, Wendy Ross, on Instagram. I am the real Wendy Ross and LinkedIn and subscribe to my show this week with Wendy, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thank you.